I want to welcome you all to Resurrection City Church. If it's your first time visiting with us this, uh, this Sunday, whether here in person or online, uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City Church, and we are actually in the middle of a uh, sermon series on the idea of wisdom as it is portrayed in the Bible. And what we've been doing is we've been walking through different voices uh, in different books of the Bible that offer us different lenses um, in how we think about uh, the concept of wisdom. And so we've been going through these books that are called the wisdom literature. And um, we are gonna be wrapping up our kind of mini-series on the book of Ecclesiastes this Sunday morning before we hop into the book of Job next Sunday. And today is kind of the postscript of the book of Ecclesiastes where we wanna kind of ask ourselves, we wanna kind of sum up what, we, what we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes so far and ask, um, what do we do with this? All right, so let me pray first as we head into uh, the sermon and then we will get going. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather here this Sunday morning um, and to worship you. And as we head into this part of the service where we uh, hear from you, where we, we, we learn um, from your word and what you have to say to us, God, just give us um, the ability to, to discern and, and hear and understand what you're saying as well as how we can uh, leave this place this Sunday morning or leave the place, wherever we're watching or listening to this, um, as people who are better equipped to live wisely and apply the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and of your son Jesus um, in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, um, there, we've kind of been jumping around a little bit. So we haven't gotten to every uh, single verse um, in, in the book. And one, one, one verse that we didn't get to, but I just want to explain it to you real quickly. But I think it's a really indicative kind of story that the teacher, who's, who's, whose words mostly make up the book of Ecclesiastes, tells us. And it's this story of the teacher observing this small city um, that found itself under siege from some great king. He doesn't give us any specifics, but he just says some, teach, uh, some city, some small city uh, up against a big uh, army and a king who's kind of surrounded it and who kind of has, um, uh, has, has it by the throat almost, this little city, and, and, and this poor man, this sort of citizen of the small city, some, someone very poor, but who possessed great wisdom, was able to actually save the city. Uh, the teacher doesn't give us, again, specifics, but he, he lets us know that through wisdom, this person sort of delivered the city from this horrible fate that they were facing um, in this great king. And so, and he kind of says, yeah, wisdom, right? Like, wisdom is good. Wisdom, this is why we talk about wisdom. This is why we pursue it, because it can, it can even take down a mighty king. But then he says... But then, you know, I kept, watch, I kept track of that city afterwards, and I found out that the wisdom that this poor person, this poor man had given, eventually went unheeded, and actually got to a point where, um, like, like, they kind of despised this person. And so he says, well, what good was wisdom in that instance? If it only worked for a moment, but didn't last beyond that, in fact, came to be disregarded, like, what good is it to sort of chase after wisdom after all? And, and, and so that, that kind of story, um, I think, kind of helps us to, to, to get a sense for, for the big picture of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, even, even good things don't last, they don't endure, they're fleeting. And so the author, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is really challenging us to ask the question, well, what, what's the purpose of this? What, what good is it, right? Is this all just meaningless? 
And, and if that's true, like, do the things that we care about, do they ultimately matter? Now, this is the conundrum that the book of Ecclesiastes has been offering us, as we've been walking through it these last few weeks. And it makes us feel, if we're being honest, if we're really reading this book closely, it makes us feel that good and wise things are sort of unable to be grasped, right? We, we, can't, we can't grab them and put them in a bottle and keep them, right? Even if we get a hold of it for a little bit, it, it kind of leaves our fingertips. We, we can't hold on to it. It, it goes away eventually. And, and so it makes us feel like, depressed and like nothing matters. That, that's one way that you can kind of, one place you can find yourself in reading this book of Ecclesiastes. Now, is this supposed to be the takeaway of the book? Like if we're reading it closely and we're finding ourselves feeling that, is that where the book itself wants us to land at the very end? And is this how we're supposed to think of wisdom, uh, you know, more generally? Uh, and that's, that's, that's where we, we find another voice within the book of Ecclesiastes who actually wants to sort of help us to frame what we've been reading in, a, in the right context. And that's this, this second voice that we might call the author or the editor. It's someone who's come along, who's compiled these sayings of the teacher, put them in a book form, but then at the very end offers us their thoughts so that we can sort of frame what we've heard well in the context of, of wisdom and also of the story of the whole Bible. All right, so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna um, talk about what the author, the editor, has to say about how we should read what we've, what we've seen so far in the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? So let's start with their sort of summation of, of what we find here at the very end of the book. This is chapter 12. Okay, so uh, the, the author says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Keep this in mind, the teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. All right, so the first thing that the, the um, uh, author wants, sorry, I'm getting, get these, I might get these two people confused in my head, so bear with me, but um, the first thing the author wants us to take away from the words of the teacher is that there's wisdom here for us, okay? We shouldn't disregard it completely. We should definitely listen to it as wisdom and, and, and sort of use that to sort of sharpen previous wisdom that we may have received. So if you remember back, if you were able to hear this, what we talked about in the, book of the, in the book of Proverbs is a lot of really positive, sort of optimistic views of wisdom. It says if you do this, if you follow this thing that God has woven into creation itself, wisdom, you'll find yourself reaping the fruit of that. You'll find yourself um, uh, reaping the benefits of that. Okay, so that's what Proverbs says. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and sort of is, like Julie described it in the first sermon, kind of is the pessimists getting to have their say. Kind of saying, yeah, but, kind of, you know, this does work a lot of the times, but does it actually last? And it kind of asks us to consider that question and gives us some examples of why maybe the things that Proverbs said need to be put into context in some sense. And I think what's happening here, when we sort of hear these two voices coming together, is what we're doing is we're sort of sharpening wisdom, 
right? We're, we're kind of adding a conflicting voice that isn't supposed to negate what we heard in Proverbs or what we learn about wisdom, but is actually supposed to sort of sharpen it down, right? When you think of sharpening a blade, what you're doing is you're, you're introducing some conflict to it, some, some challenge or some resistance to the blade, but it's not to get rid of the blade, it's actually to sharpen it and make it more efficient, to make it uh, do its job better. And I think when we take Ecclesiastes and we take the wisdom of Ecclesiastes and we bring it alongside Proverbs and what we've heard there, what we're doing is we're getting a clearer, sharper picture of what wisdom is supposed to be, a better understanding of what it is. And, 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 and here's, here's how that happens. All right? I want the rest of the sermon to kind of be us understanding how we sort of find that um, taking place. Okay, so, so here, here's what happens. The teacher has told us that um, everything that Proverbs has said about wisdom is right, but it all takes place in this, this place that the, that the uh, teacher keeps bringing up, this place called under the sun. All right, so let me give you an example here. Ecclesiastes 1.14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. That's the Hebrew word hevel, a chasing after the wind. This Hebrew word hevel means uh, wind or vapor, things that smoke, fog, things we can't grab a hold of that kind of you know, move around us that we can maybe see but we can't really grasp it, we can't really bottle it up. And this phrase under the sun, it shows up in many places in the book of Ecclesiastes but what it's sort of uh, indicating is, is common human experience. Right, the experience all humans who have, have lived in history as, as long as the fall has been in effect in human history is this sort of burden for us as we live under the sun. We're sort of corrupted, we're sort of stymied by, by the effects of sin in the world that sort of take what is supposed to be good, which includes God's wisdom, and kind of keeps it from having the full effect that it's supposed to have in the world. And so he says everything, he keeps coming back to this, everything is sort of meaningless or hevel. We can't grab a hold of it because of this, because it takes place under the sun. Now this doesn't mean that everything is bad, okay? It doesn't mean that, um, that, that we don't find goodness and, and joy and beauty um, and peace and things to celebrate in this time. It just means that they don't last, right? And, and so that's where you get that language around how there is a season for everything, Right? There is a season where you will celebrate, but you can't bottle that up. You can't take it with you. It's fleeting, right? You, you know how like sometimes when you, when you go on a vacation, right, and you've and you're, you're got a couple days left in the vacation before you know you're gonna go back to, to quote unquote real life, and you're just like, man, I just wish I could bottle up this experience that I'm having right now and just take it with me. And like, whenever I want, I can open the bottle up and I can, I can drink it or smell it or whatever, right? That, that's what we would like to do, but we can't do that, right? It, it, the, the feeling that we have of, of, of peace and of celebration and of joy, it, it doesn't last. And that's true of everything good, right? We have it for a time maybe, but it doesn't always you know, stay that way, right? We, we find ourselves going through these seasons where we just find that, that things um, are, are, don't, are fleeting for us, right? And, and, and even, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves that's not true. Just think about movies always, or not always, but usually have a happy ending, 
right? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Like you watch like a, a rom-com and at the end of the movie, the, the two people get together and it's super happy. They're, you know, they're like, they're gonna get married and it's just gonna be a perfect life for them after that. And then you think, that's actually probably not what's gonna happen, right? Like it's probably like they're just gonna get married and then they're gonna have to deal with, you know, like the, 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 the challenges that married people have. So that feeling of happiness that you have at the end of the movie, like that's, that, we train ourselves to think everything's gonna be perfect from here on out, but that's not really how it works. And that's kind of what Ecclesiastes is saying for us. Now, if we take this sort of um, fear of that or the, 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 the feeling that because nothing lasts, nothing matters, to its logical extreme, we end up at a place um, called, uh, or at least not far from, something called nihilism. All right, so a little bit about nihilism. This is a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, he's known, he's best known as the undefeated mustache champion of all of history, okay? And you can see why from these pictures here. Seriously, I think in the one picture it looks like he has a squirrel tail taped under his nose, and the other it's like he's got a bird nest under there, okay? It really impressive. But the second thing he's known for in history, though, is being the father of a, a philosophical system called nihilism, all right? And, and so what nihilism is, is this um, sort of, uh, view that we, we come to realize that God and some sort of any other overarching structure in the world, it doesn't exist. We've invented it. We, we, it's something we've created so that we can cope. But we kind of have come to a place in history where we know that that's not true. Now, Ecclesiastes isn't saying that, all right? So ju- just to be clear, this is something that Nietzsche is saying. But um, still, coming to this place of understanding there's really nothing above us, right? There's, no, there's nothing that's gonna reward us for doing good, for having virtues like uh, humility or those types of things. There, you're not gonna get a reward for that. You're just gonna get trampled on. That's something he talked about a lot. And so he expected people to be super depressed initially coming to that realization. He, he knew that would happen, right? That's a hard thing, that's a devastating thing to hear. But for Nietzsche, he thought the right answer to this is eventually people are gonna come along, or, or someone, he talked about one singular person, but I think he expected you know, other people to grasp this, which he called the Ubermensch, which is German for the overman or the superman or something like that. Someone who is above and, and kind of beyond everybody else. And this person would, through something called will the power, sort of take a hold of everything in the world, all of this meaningless, and sort of uh, rearrange it according to their own will, according to their own sort of um, happiness and, and see power as a virtue, and because nothing else really mattered, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you do and how it affects other people, we're gonna take a hold of this and see it as a chance to take you know, create unlimited possibility in the world for ourselves. This was sort of, this was sort of the, the thing that, that Nietzsche thought would be the thing that would give people hope and value in the world. And so nihilism in this, is this sort of um, glad commitment to the, the meaningless of everything in the world. Kind of like, I can live with this because maybe it gives me some opportunities to sort of uh, live this out in a certain way. And, and while you maybe have never heard this word, right, you might not think I don't have any friends who are nihilists, it's actually had a bigger effect on the world than you might think. Um, it, it really has kind of seeped into the mindset of the world in a lot of ways. I think when we say things like, um, you know, no one's gonna help me, I gotta help myself. Right? That's kind of, a, a kind of saying, yeah, no one cares about me. No, no one's up there trying to help me out. I've got to grasp this a hold of myself. If I don't do it, no one's going to do it for me. That's a bit of a nihilistic sentiment, I think you could say, or at least what Nietzsche is, is kind of telling us to do. 
All right? Now, the thing is, he's right. It's totally devastating to find out that something that you've made the foundation of your life or a very important building block in what your life looks like isn't real um, or doesn't, doesn't last, doesn't have meaning. That's, that is super disappointing. It, it really stings. Right? Nietzsche was very much correct about that. And I think people are feeling that all the time about all sorts of different things. I mean, a lot of people feel it about church a lot of times. They feel hurt by the church or by leaders, and even they throw God into that category, perhaps. Right? So th- this is a common thing. Now, as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, are we supposed to take this away from it? Are we supposed to kind of follow this line of thinking that Nietzsche took and sort of say, yeah, nothing does really matter. Like, I either should just be super depressed or I should kind of be happy about it and do whatever I want. You know, no one is gonna tell me not to. No one should be able to stop me from doing that. And the author, this the second voice in the book, the one who's taking the words of the teacher and wants to frame them correctly for us, they say no, this is, this is not the thing to take away from this. The author wants us to fit what the teacher says into what we already know of God and wisdom and apply it to that. And this is that sharpening we were talking about. So here's what he says in verse 11, the author now. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like nail, a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. So what they're saying there is that cows are stubborn, all right? Cows don't like to go do the thing that they're supposed to do a lot of times. And so if you're a farmer, which I'm not, so I'm not speaking as some authority here, but like if you're a farmer, you're like, if we're gonna get these cows to go like eat their food or go do what their, you know, whatever cows do during the day, we're gonna have to maybe give them a little bit of a push to do it. And so they have these things called cattle prods, which give them, a little, give them a little jolt to get them to go in that direction. It's the only way to get these cows, these sort of really stubborn cows to move is to give them a little jolt. Maybe it's a little bit painful, but it gets them moving in the right direction. Now, what the author is telling us here is that um, this wisdom from the teacher is gonna prod us away from investment in life under the sun to life on, whoa, we're, we're off on the slides up there for a sec. Can, we get, can you get me back to uh, the Ecclesiastes 12, 11 slide, please? Um, um, so, yes, yeah, so this, um, this cattle prod here is, is supposed to point us in the right direction, right? It's, it's wisdom, but it's a bit of a stinging type of wisdom that's going to uh, move us in that direction. And so what we're supposed to take away from this is that the wise, if you're going to be reading Ecclesiastes and finding good wisdom, you're going to know that the teacher's words might sting, but they're going to point us in the right direction, you're gonna take that sort of little prodding, that little jolt, that little sting from these, these words that are hard to hear, but you're gonna, you're gonna move in the right direction from them, all right? Pain is a good thing, right? Pain is not necessarily a bad thing in the world because it, um, it alerts us that something's not right, right? That's why you have nerves in your body, right? Not just to torment you, but to sort of let you know, hey, something isn't right. You should maybe like go see a doctor or, or something. Like try to figure out why this pain is going on. You can, avo- you can avoid some more pain or some more trouble down the road if you listen to this pain here in the present. And so pain is a good thing. Now what is painful about the teacher's words is this realization that things under the sun, these things that motivate us, They don't have the meaning that we're always trying so hard to invest them with. 
Okay, that's the big point that the, the, uh, the teacher is trying to make uh, for us. And, and what we need is maybe some hard words to sort of shake us towards that so that we can be saved from investing in things that really don't quite have the ultimate value that we want to give them, that, that are fleeting, that don't last. And because we're like cattle, because we're, we're, we're often very stubborn, it can take a lot to move us. And so if we get a little jolt from this, it's not a bad thing necessarily. The author wants us to realize this is a good thing. But we gotta make sure we move in the right direction here. Now in other places in the Bible, we, I think we can find similar type of thinking being given to sort of, to sort of frame this, the same idea in different ways. And, and we'll come back to this later in the sermon, but Julie talked about this in the, our first sermon uh, in Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about treasures of the earth. Okay, things that we think are valuable here and now, think that have you know, all this value that are treasures in a sense, but that really don't quite stand up to the scrutiny um, that, they should, that, that we give them when we really apply that to it. And some of the things that the teacher has talked about, some of these things we've talked about in the series, some of them are things we haven't, so it's a bit, a bit of a recap, also a bit of stuff we haven't quite gotten to, just some things that the teacher kind of tries to tell us through these, these stinging words that don't have this ultimate value we give them that are ultimately hevel, ultimately fleeting, are things like work, wealth, politics, sort of a longing for the good old days, trying to you know, bring them back, whatever, whatever the cost, pleasure, sort of living your best life, whatever that looks like. Even justice, when it's sought purely by human action, is eventually gonna find itself uh, disappointed. Uh, he talks about how excellence, success, achievement, even sort of study and knowledge, these things are all, are all you know, maybe good, but, but ultimately don't last. You can't bottle them up so they continue to have the effect that you thought that they might have. Eventually, something greater will come along, something will come to take those things away. Um, uh, maybe you'll just find that you thought this had a lot of value, but then later on you'll realize, I was wrong. It's just, this thing does not have the value that I thought it did. Whatever it is, um, Whatever it is, we're gonna find that out at some point. And again, these aren't unimportant things. They all have a time and place. Okay, I don't want you to hear me wrong, but understand that they make poor foundations if we're gonna build our lives on them. See, sand is good for sandboxes and uh, beaches, but it's not something you wanna build a whole house on, maybe. Right? And so we gotta figure out how these things, what, what value they should have actually when put into the full account of things. And sometimes thinking about this is painful, like the shock of a cattle prod, but it's a necessary sting that sort of leads us to wisdom. It leads us to see something is not right here and to try to move towards the place where we figure out, well, what is right? What's gonna fix this? What is the thing I need to sort of alleviate this pain? All right, and this is where the author steps in here as he kind of closes the account of the book and he offers us some hope in the midst of this meaninglessness to sort of um, frame everything correctly by returning us to something that we've been talking a lot about in this series so far. So this is verses 13 and 14. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. 
So this stinging wisdom is supposed to point us back to the fear of the Lord. This thing that we've talked about kind of throughout this whole series on wisdom because it continually is the thing that these authors, these writers of these different books on wisdom are telling us is the foundation, the starting point of true wisdom. is a posture of awe and reverence, a correct ordering of ourselves before the creator and king, God himself. Now to him, what might seem like hevel, like meaninglessness, is not. And it's why we fear, it's why we revere him. And the author is saying that they trust that God will sort things out. That's what they mean when they say in verse 14 that God will judge everything. Now the story of the Bible, when we expand our scope here a little bit, outside of Ecclesiastes, outside of the wisdom literature, The story of the Bible is a story about God setting things right. That's what it means when he judges the world is he's setting it right again. It's been been knocked off kilter and God comes in and judges it and what he's doing is he's, he's, he's correcting it. He's setting it right again so it is no longer sort of going off the rails. That's what God does. He comes in and he corrects and he judges things. And what he has done is he's conquered sin and death in Jesus. These two things that ultimately really contribute to the meaninglessness, the hevel that the, author, that the, the teacher has been talking about. He comes in and he conquers sin and death. That's what the cross and the resurrection are about. And so when we, when we understand that we don't need to follow the teacher to a place of despair, now, Jesus' triumph, I want to dig into this a little bit more today. Jesus' triumph in, in defeating sin and death, what it does is it splits the world really into two ages. So the first age we could call life under the sun, what the teacher has been talking about. This age where things are sort of burdened by fleetingness, burdened by sin, kind of we can't enjoy them fully, we can, we can get glimpses of what they're meant for, meant for good as God intended, but we can't, we can't, again, we can't put it into a bottle. That's what life under the sun is. And so we find that these things have no, not, don't have the ultimate meaning that we're trying to give them. And, and, and I think when you think about it, like when you really think about it, it's easy to understand that we, we live in a place that is sort of stymied by, by hevel, by sin, by death, right? That, that we, we all feel that in our bones on a daily basis. Some days more than others, but for sure, we know that this is true, okay? This is not a hard uh, wisdom to come for, to come to. And so if this wisdom is telling us this, then wisdom also must say that if everything under the sun is hevel, it's meaningless, then we have to find some way to value things according to a life that is not from this place, that is not going to ultimately make it be fleeting, all right, and so when God sorts things out and Christ liberates and remakes everything for his everlasting kingdom, he sorts it out by establishing a new life for us, this new life that is under the sun, S-U-N. Okay, so think, this is a little cheesy, all right, so just go with me, but life under the sun, S-U-N, is different than life under the sun, S-O-N. This is this new age that has been brought to bear by God sorting everything out, by judging it in Jesus. And so the wisdom of the teacher is gonna prod us away from investing ourselves and investing our life in things under the sun, S-U-N, and to life under the sun, S-O-N, all right? 
And fear of the Lord is gonna get us there. I'm not sure how much of this the teacher or the author grasped when they were writing in this time before God came in Jesus to, to sort everything out, but if we listen to their words, we will find ourselves getting to that place. Fearing God causes us to get to that place. And it causes us to get to that place by valuing what God does. And so this is where I want to return to where Julie was at in the very first sermon on uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 20, this passage that talks about treasures that are stored up um, that are either treasures of earth or treasures of heaven. Can you take me to that slide, please? Okay, so um, let's read this, Matthew 6, 19 to 20. This is Jesus talking here. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? The fleetingness of life under the sun. This is applied to treasures of earth. They can rust, they can be destroyed by time and, and the, just the natural order of things and they can be taken away from us, okay? We can't necessarily uh, know that they will always be kept for us because someone can always come and steal them from us. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now we might think that storing up treasures in heaven means sort of like, you know, Jesus says in other places, like I'm going to prepare a mansion for you someday. That's where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna build this great house for you. That's maybe a verse that you've heard before. And so you might think, well, treasures in heaven are probably like these things that Jesus is, you know, we do, we're doing good stuff for Jesus now and he's like putting stuff in our closet, you know, someday that when we go to heaven or something, that'll all be there for us, right? And we'll have all these treasures that we've been storing up for ourselves and, and, and I don't think that that's really, I want to change your thinking on that, if that's kind of how you, you think about it. I don't think that's really the, the point that Jesus is getting at here. That, the, that what, what treasures in heaven are, are these sort of spiritual things that, you know, don't really matter in the world now, but we'll get them when we live in some spiritual existence uh, later on, um, and that kind of render them, you know, not effective or not meaningful in this time and place here. Okay? Treasures in heaven, instead, I would, I would submit to you, are things that are seen as treasure by God and valued where he is king, where he is feared. Okay? These are things that are treasures to God who is not affected by meaninglessness, by hevel, by sin, by death. Okay? And so what these things are are things that have effect in the present but also are not impacted by life under the sun, S-U-N. They endure to life, the, the next life. They endure, they, they, they aren't affected, right? So we, these are things that matter in the present now, but will also take with us, in a sense, when we do enter full life under the sun, S-O-N, the sun Jesus, when he comes and he redeems and liberates and recreates everything. Okay, these are, these are things that um, have like, you know, dual citizenship, just like we do, right? We are citizens of earth, but also citizens of heaven, right? We have a dual citizenship, and so when we're crossing borders, right, these are things we can take with us that aren't sort of checked at customs, right, if you think about it like that. Or, or think about it like this, right? If you're buying a house, let's say you're, you're single, but you're at a place where you wanna buy a house, and you're thinking, well, I wanna buy a house that sort of fits my needs right now as a single person, but if you're really thinking about it, you're maybe asking the question too, well, what, a, what kind of stuff should I be looking for if I'm gonna live in a house in a different season of life, 
right? What, what if I buy a house that, you know, that, that I could get married in, right? And I could have kids in. So you'd be thinking about sort of stuff in the present that will last into the next season of life that you're living in, all right? This is what treasures in heaven are. They're things that matter now, but also if we're looking ahead, if we're thinking forward, and I know a lot of people here are really efficient thinkers. You like productivity, you like efficiency. If we care about efficiency in what we're pursuing, we should care about finding things that last into the next age, right? And so, these things aren't depreciated in value because moth and vermin and rust don't destroy them. They can't be stolen from us. Now, when we really dig into the book of Ecclesiastes, what we're finding is the, the wisdom of the teacher is helping us to um, figure out, to, it's indicating for us what things will and won't last, okay? And, and it sort of it's helping us to sort of um, say these, these things that I might think have value actually don't, okay? But that doesn't mean that the things that are treasures in heaven that we, we, we come to value when we fear God don't last. And so we should be taking this wisdom of the teacher and using it to sort of tell ourselves to, to locate and invest in things that have, um, that have enduring value, things that aren't affected by Hevel, that, that aren't things that, that aren't able to be grasped. And so, so what some of those things are, let me just give you an example. Let, let's, let's use your work as an example. Remember that the teacher talked about how work and so much that comes from our toil and work on the earth ultimately is meaningless. It's ultimately valueless. And the types of things that he's talking about there, which we could also call treasures of the earth, are things like money, status, titles, fame, the, the nice suburban house that you're gonna get from this job, right? All these things that we might you know, get a job for to acquire for ourselves. The teacher's like, yeah, these things are great. There's a season for them, but really if that's all you care about, you're gonna be disappointed, right? All of those things are fleeting. None of those things last. None of those things are, are worth fully investing your life into. And so instead, if, if we focus on treasures in heaven, as we go about our work or any other part of our life, we're gonna find ourselves valuing things in what we apply ourselves to, like faith, hope, love. These are things Paul talks about constantly in his letters. Or he also talks about the fruit of the spirits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Other things that we find that God values throughout all of scripture are things like justice, things like grace, things like faith, things like mercy, and ultimately, if we were putting all of these things under one category or one heading, one word to describe them all, we can maybe say Christ-likeness. Living like Christ, when we live like Christ, we know that what we're valuing and acquiring for ourselves, whether it's virtues or habits, um, those things will last for us into the next age because they are things, they are treasures of heaven and not treasures of earth. Now, if we really think about it, we're gonna have lots of opportunities to pursue these things if we're willing to see them, okay? Which means we have to let the words of the teacher really challenge us, really sort of um, sting us maybe perhaps for a little bit, right? We have to be willing to let ourselves be stinged by the words of the teacher. And so I'm challenging you all to really let yourself feel that sting, Okay, I, I really want you to do that. But if you do, if you're willing to let yourself do that, you're gonna be able to see sort, all sorts of opportunities to pursue these things in all these different areas of our life. 
okay? Whether it's like the big four relationships, right? Maybe we can think of your life in, in terms of four big relationships, your family, your friendships, your church family, or in your work relationships, your, or, or, right? Like in those four different relationships, ask yourself, how can I pursue things in these places that are treasures in heaven, that will have enduring value, that aren't corrupted or, or fleeting, Maybe in our big decisions that we make, right? We, we are, uh, a lot of us are at a place in life where we're making big decisions, like about work, about the, our futures, right? As we go about making those decisions, if we move away from making them purely on treasures of earth, things that have fleeting value, and again, I'm not saying don't think about them. I'm not saying they're unimportant. There is a season, there's a place for them. That is what the teacher says in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what if we put the full weight on things that are treasures in heaven and how we make those decisions instead? That would, that would probably change how we think about things, at least to, at least to somewhat of a degree. Right, whether it's engaging with hot button issues today, right? We're, we're living in a world that is throwing a lot of stuff at us. We're, we're, we're processing a lot of things constantly, whether it's in the realm of politics or social issues or, or media, right? There's all these things swirling around us. Well, what if we looked at treasures in heaven and valued those and how we choose to think about those things, right? That, that, that would have enduring value that would sort of transcend whatever's going on here in the moment, right? Things that have value to God when we fear him. In, in what we put our times to, time towards, right? Our time is such a valuable um, uh, asset to us, right? Such an important commodity in our lives. And, and we find ourselves having conflict in how we should choose to use our time. Well, what if you valued treasures in heaven first in how you choose to decide what you do with your time, right? That would be a more important investment of that time if we believe that this is true, that there are treasures in heaven that sort of endure to the next stage. That would be a, a better investment of our time. What about in the big decisions of how we sort of you know, live our lives now in the midst of a pandemic and as we all start to think about readjustment back to a new normal as uh, hopefully, like Lord willing, we're able to uh, kind of bring this pandemic completely under control here, right? It's gonna cause us to have to go through a lot of readjustment in our lives, a lot of restructuring. What if we were thinking about treasures in heaven as we went through that as opposed to just treasures on earth? Okay, the work that we do in these things, that when we value uh, the treasures of heaven, will last. And so, like I said, if you care about future investment, focus on what Christ treasures. Because when, when properly applied, wisdom is gonna steer us away from treasures of earth, things that are ultimately meaningless in heaven, towards things that are treasures in heaven. Now, if that's true, I just wanna challenge you. Why wouldn't we seek those things out? Right? Are we going to be like cattle? Are we going to be stubborn and not move? Or are we going to be willing to listen to the hard words of the teacher, but in the process find the true wisdom of fearing God and valuing what he does for a lasting impact in our lives? And so that's our, our reflection question today that I want you to be thinking about. Where is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes prodding you towards, all right? Th this is a question that you really need to ask yourself, I think. I can get up here and I can say a bunch of stuff, right? I can, I can say all the words in the world, but unless you're willing to sort of really ask yourself the question, there's not gonna be any sort of impact in your lives, all right? So that's what I wanna invite you to do as we head into this time of worship where we, we ask you to reflect on these things and then as you go out um, from this place, uh, whether you're here in person or, or online from us uh, the rest of the week here.
So what I want to do is I want to pray, and then we'll do communion, and then we'll worship, and, and you can reflect on this question. Lord, we thank you that we, we're not subjected to life under the sun, S-U-N. God, we, we thank you that despite the fact that this is the way the world is, Lord, and that the words of the teacher, while, while harsh and hard to hear, are also true, God, uh, we thank you that you don't leave things that way, Lord, that we don't have to adopt a depressing, nihilistic view of the world, but we can believe and know that you have conquered the things that make this life heavy and, and, and fleeting, Lord, so that we can have hope that when we fear you and when we follow your son Jesus, we can be investing in a life that has full meaning because it has, it has conquered those things, God. Give us wisdom through your Holy Spirit as we ask ourselves where we can pursue treasures on, in heaven more and treasures on earth less, God. Help that to, to be our mantra as we move forward uh, on this Sunday and the rest of this week and, and, and far beyond it, Lord. We pray these things in the name of the Son, Jesus, who has conquered all. Amen.